the open plan, that's out. Even, even the whites who may not agree with integration and have to grudgingly cooperate, well, that's better, but I look for the day when whites will accept blacks just as men and women and, 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 and move on. Yes, segregation has a different face today. But you see, the, the trouble is, and I guess you need this because this is how I feel. If you let racism take the place of segregation, you might have, as they said, kill the old hen and lay the golden egg. You will let the hen's chick grow up to be the same thing. Well, that was one of the founders of the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights, Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth, who I had the honor of meeting more than 18 years ago. Now, welcome to Before You Go, I'm Bryant Monte. And I'm Nicole Franklin. It's Black History Month, and in celebration here at Before You Go on KBLA Talk 1580, we take a rewind in time. Bryant, we get to hear another conversation today from your past. This is with Mr. Shuttlesworth. Reverend Shuttlesworth, who played a major role in the history of desegregation and voting rights. He really did, and a lot of people may not know who he was. I had the chance to uh, sit down with him. It was impromptu, and it's funny because the people that coordinated his schedule, you know, we sat down, I had a film crew, and we said, okay, Mm -hmm. we want to do this interview in the lobby of one of the hotels in Birmingham. And I'd heard his story, and I thought it was captivating because I, I was like, okay, I, I never heard of him hmm. uh, until I lived in Huntsville and actually talked to some people that hipped me to the civil rights movement in Alabama. And, you know, they taught me about Shuttlesworth. And I said, well, I have to sit down and do an interview with him. And this was not long after the interview I did with Dr. Joseph Lowry. Um, and he, his stories were just incredible. I said, I had no idea, sir, (laughs) who you were and your story. But everyone remembers Birmingham because it was such a volatile time. I mean, we know the images from being, um, you know, from the dogs, police dogs, uh, you know, biting people that were uh, marching and and protesting to the water hoses and all those things that we have uh, embedded in our memories um, Birmingham was the pl- was the place. Yeah, yeah. If we um, look closely, maybe we can see him in some of those images because he was hosed with those fire hoses. And what an awful, awful image when I mean, he was right there. Yeah, he was. Now he shared with me that on Christmas Day back in 1956, his house was bombed. Mm-hmm. So some some people, some men, whether they're the Ku Klux Klan Probably or whoever the they Klan. Were. But it could have been yeah. anybody, right? At that right. time, racist. But anyway, they put dynamite near his bedroom window and the the story was he said they lit the dynamite it blew up blew him out of his bed and he went up in the air he said and he hit his head up against the wall and he said he came down and you know he checked himself checking his legs his arms his limbs and he checked the back of his head and it was just a he said a bump on the back of his head And he checked on his family who were inside the house. And everyone was fine, shooken up, obviously. And also it blew out all the windows of the house. And it's funny because he shared with me after that, he told me this story. Mm -hmm. He said, I knew the Lord was with me. (laughs) I said, yeah, I think he was. Very much so. He said, it's not not your time, you know. And, and, And throughout the conversation that we had, he would often say that, you know, he was, 
beaten up. I mm-hmm. mean, he said he he was beaten. He's been you know, through it. He's he was through it. He went through a lot. Mm-hmm. And he remembered hearing that, oh, it's not your time yet. I got more for you to do. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like the Lord was speaking to him and letting him know that, okay, fear not, I'm still with you. Which I think is amazing testimony of his spirituality and his connection, you know, with the Lord. Wow. But we just had a very casual, candid conversation, and he is a teacher, preacher at heart. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talked about the Bible, talked about different scriptures, you know, because a lot of that was what fueled people's passion to uh, see this change. A lot of people were, you know, convinced that this wasn't right, and the movement was such in a way that uh, people stood up you know, in many ways, the first for the first time to say, okay, this segregation is not working anymore because everyone is equal, especially in the eyes of God. And I love what he shares, and I hope you guys enjoy this uh, sharing that we have for you for this episode because he was quite an amazing individual. Uh, when I spoke with him, I think he was about 81 years old. Wow. He said he'll be 82 in four months, I think, uh, at that time, we did this interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, he passed at the age of 89, I believe. Um, but a phenomenal uh, con- leader in the civil rights movement that some may know and some may not. But you'll see his statue that's out in front of the uh, Civil Rights Institute in Birmingham. He's a, there's a bronze statue of him standing there. Uh, I think one of his arms are out, you know, because he really was a, a beacon in, during this time. So born in March 1922, he would have been 100 years old next month had he lived. Wow. 100. That's He really would have been on this show. <laughs> he would have been perfect for our show, but he still is. He still is very much oh, perfect for is. our show. He is. He was also a co-founder of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which we're also familiar with from mm-hmm. an interview you did on a previous episode with Reverend Joseph Lowry. So history right here and before you go. Um, I want to say from listening to what we're getting ready to present to everybody that Shuttlesworth used the pulpit very effectively to change conditions when the Klan was prepared to overtake the South. Uh, they never got to because of people like him. <laughs> they did not win this fight. Right. And Shuttlesworth's delivery and calls to action can be quite colorful when listening to uh, what you two put together for us today. (laughs) I see how his skills as a pastor inspired the movement. As you say, Bryant, many of us have not heard these details of how Shuttlesworth, who was called to the fight, changed history with a strong stance even against Martin Luther King. Yeah, there were some decisions made that King didn't want to make. So um, Shuttlesworth had to tell him not to stand down when uh, King wanted to at one point. Right. And so we'll give you more of this story with Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth himself when we return. And we're back with more of my conversation with Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth. This was all in the name of desegregation. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to get back into your interview, Bryant. But let's set this up a bit because Shuttlesworth gave you a riveting story about a situation between himself and Dr. King and Ralph Abernathy. 
1963 was an electric time in Birmingham, as you've been saying. Martin Luther King had championed civil disobedience and famously wrote about this in his letter from Birmingham jail. But Mm -hmm. there was a debate among the leaders, Dr. King, James Bevel, Ike Reynolds, and Shuttlesworth, as to whether the children should become involved. Now, King had to be, like, persuaded, and so did President Kennedy have to be persuaded um, to hold what would then be known as the Children's Crusade. So I actually wrote, Bryant, I actually wrote about the Children's Crusade a few years ago, and I'm still amazed at their resilience because these were thousands of children, not just teenagers. I mean, some were as young as seven years old. And during this crusade that lasted a few days, it started May 2nd, 1963, they filled up the jails with thousands of children, thousands of children. Um, And it was kind of part of the plan because they knew the adults would have to take off work. So it's not so much the children were upon. I mean, these children were also leaders and Shuttlesworth recognized that from the get go. So here they come, you know, down the street and yeah, they were sprayed with water hoses, hit with batons, threatened with police dogs, jailed, um, all courtesy of the commissioner of public safety at that time, Eugene Bull Connor. <laughs> so Fred Shuttlesworth himself was even hosed and um, it was so bad that that put him in the hospital. But fear not, he left the hospital and um, you caught this amazing story of how he left the hospital prematurely to once again convince King they had to uh, take action. You see, the Birmingham demonstration broke the back of segregation. If we hadn't been successful in Birmingham, we would not have been successful anywhere. If we had to demonstrate that we could overcome the power of the police, whether they were violent or not, the power of the Klan, put ourselves out there to be tortured or killed or whatever, and the keep the people moving. And so it's in Birmingham, and people need to know this. It wasn't the adults that filled the jail, the children. We couldn't won in Birmingham without them. That's what most people write about. They forget that there was a movement in Birmingham in 1956, seven years before I invited Martin Luther King to come, and SCLC. And children, high school, and elementary kids, and they rejoiced to go to jail. And, and so these young people came in, Bevel and others were very great in disciplining them. And we filled the jails up in a few days, literally filled it up. Mm-hmm. And now when I know now here I'm coming to the climax of the Birmingham demonstration, and this people ought to know. I had demanded there be clerks in every, each of the five stores, et cetera, et cetera, and came, wide walk, we all agreed. But the white people in Birmingham intended to make it a victory that was not a victory. Make it look like it. So in, in all, how would you like to be And so it didn't bother me to okay. confront Dr. King the Kennedy administration had sent Brett Marshall down and his aides. And really, Martin, I, I don't say things about Martin that, that sometimes I feel because I feel God, Martin was God's prophet for our generation. And I don't need to make myself anything 
but I do believe in speaking the truth. And Martin had almost let Berg Marshall and that group take over the, over the negotiation. There are people negotiating who shouldn't have been in the negotiating thing. Martin was trying to include everybody. And so finally, uh, I'm struck with fire hose in the kid. And I go to the hospital, and the doctor decides that I need rest. <laughs> He's looking out for me. But my rest wouldn't have been lying in a bed somewhere. My rest would have been seeing to it that the movement, the sacrifice of these children continued, and that we had to get the victory. And so um, here we are. So I get struck with fire holes. Martin Raff didn't come to see me in the hospital. And the doctor gave me a hypo when I first got there to knock me out, but he didn't. So he came back about uh, oh, 7.30, 8 that night and gave me another hypo. Gonna really knock me out, but you can't. God has some things chosen to be done a special way in history. And so the next day, my wife and vice president came out and I was so groggy, but he said, well, you he said, uh, the doctor said, well, y'all take it back over there because his heart is over there. I said, now you're speaking wisdom. Went over there in room 24, that was my room. And they had just put me in the bed and tucked me. I went in the bed 10 minutes before Andy Young comes and hit on the door. He didn't come in because I think he knew I would have said some unsunder school words. Martin, want you to come out of John Drew's house. That in itself would have been an offense because I didn't deal with the middle class. I talked to them, all, we were all friends. I never conflicted. But I didn't see why I needed to get out of my sick bed and go out to John Drew's house. But I made a habit in my life of whenever either Martin or Ralph when he's president called, I'd go, whatever I was doing. So I got up, they had to help me dress again, and went out to John Drew's house. When Martin was fa would be facing trouble, he always put his hand in his back pocket and look out the one. As a sign that something deep. His staff knew that. So I get there, and though uh, the, the Drews had a split level house. You, you step down one or two steps. You go way over yonder and you step up two steps. And when, I, when I came in and stepped down, I had to be helped, you know, too high pole. Didn't get no sleep that night. And I find myself and came down, I think, at one to the floor and slumped into the chair. And Marvin was looking. He didn't even look at me. He was really bloody. And I don't want to indicate that he had given up on the struggle, but Bert Marshall had soft-talked And think of what, you think, you can think of the pressure, the President of the United States, the Attorney General, and all, and they wanted the movement stopped. The white people saw this as their last chance to overcome Fred Shelton in Birmingham. And if they could just get a recognized moratorium to the extent and once you start a moratorium, you see you can extend it. I knew all of that. But in that bombing before, I understood what we had to do. So it wasn't a problem with me. So I said, Martin, why must I get out of my sick bed and come out to John Drew's house? And he didn't answer, looking out the window. Some fake glass windows. And I asked a question. I said, well, Martin, why must we get out of my sickbed. I said, I, I asked you a question. Come out, John Drew. 
And he was in such agony, to, as I think about it now, I feel it. He said, well, Fred, we got to call the demonstrations off. And that was just like a million tons of whatever. I said, why must we call it off, Mark? And Mrs. Drew sitting way over there on the thing. But she got into it. Well, I talk real proper. I want to know why we can't call it off. I said, hell, I didn't come out and talk to you. You didn't call nothing on, and you can't call nothing off. Now, Martin, why not? I said some words that you don't use in Sunday school. Right? <laughs> and he said to me, he was so, the excuse was so, he said, well, the merchants said that they can't negotiate while we demonstrate. I said, well, Martin, hell, that's the reason they're negotiating, because we had to demonstrate, and they made promises, they took down this, signs for one while, put them back up. I said, that's why we demonstrate. And then I knew right then that the government had sort of overwhelmed Martin. And he never did look at me too well. But Marshall had two people, but Marshall was sitting like just across his table and looked at me. I don't think Big Martin batted his eyes. Looked like I'm Jesus coming. <laughs> See, Robert Kennedy realized that if they had made some agreement Without my going with it, it would have been trouble anyhow. So Robert did President's work anyway. I was in his office when James Meredith was put in Mississippi. So I know who was doing what. So it so happened that then somebody asked the question, well, well what, what about the press conference? I said, oh, y'all going to have a press conference? Said, Good, go ahead. I don't know nothing about this, you see. The president going to have one in Washington, and Martin was going to have one in Birmingham. No announcing the moratorium. And, uh, and when I got wind of this, I, I'm getting angry about the moment. And I said, well, okay, you all gonna have press? I said, well, you big boys go ahead, but you're gonna be, the T in that word starts with a S. And you're gonna be, you're up here now, but you'll be down here. I said, go ahead and have the press conference. When I see that you all have called it off, and with what little strength I have left, I'm going to lead them 4,000 kids in the street, and you ought to be in a mess. Martin said, well, boy, we got to have unity. We got to have unity. I said, well, we damn sure won't have it this way. <laughs> Being honest. Off this I, yeah, I said, you won't have it this way. <laughs> and I tried to get up, really. And, and I was going to walk out myself, but I couldn't, and slumped back down. So Blake Marshall then said, then said but two things in the whole. He said, well, I have made promises to these people, just as discreet. And I just, I didn't fuss. I said, well, Blake, any promise that you made in Birmingham that I did not agree to is not a promise. He didn't answer me back. And then Ralph was going to grease me. I have put this in there because this is true. This is not reported too much, you know. Ralph was sitting right behind Martin as he looked out the plate glass window. Ralph gonna grease me, now Fred, and Ralph was on his knees then sitting down right behind Martin. And I wasn't that far from him, maybe from here that, first far from here that picture, right there. He said, now Fred, we're friends, aren't we? And Fred, we went to school together then. I didn't see where that had any relevance. And I got angry as he tried to grieve me. I knew what he did. 
And Fred, we were friends, and we went to school, and Fred, I'll get on my knees to you. So he started crawling to me from behind Martin. And I let him make two, three steps, and I said, now, Ralph, you can get off your knees, you can get on your so-and-so belly, the so-and-so with these words I don't want to put on them. I said, it won't make any difference. So when I said that, he just turned around and crawled back to Martin. I said, in fact, I'm going home. I, I just think that, uh, I'm, I know you, I shouldn't come out here in the first place, something like that. But at that time, the phone rang, and as the Lord would have it, there's a door right round as you come down and step into the other room. And there are two times I can tell you where the Lord himself extend your, whatever you got, extended my hearing. The first was the day before when I was struck with fire hoses. Beverly had gotten the kids back because after a while kids be running, disrespecting the police and everything. And I'm fitting to go into the church and I passed by them, they were laughing. Fred, you got them all? I said, yeah, they came in the building now. And when I go, I, I walk diagonally across the street, what the park of Martin statues there, to the 16th Street Church, then go all the way on the corner. And the, one of the policemen said to us, just in Boston, like I'm saying, let's put some water on the river. And I'm supposed to hear that way over there, you know. And I heard him just as clear as I'm talking to you. I looked up and the water had already begun arching down. All I could do was throw my hand in front of my face, else my face would be destroyed now. And slammed me against the wall. That's where I thought I would die again the second time. But I could hear God said, not yet, not yet. This, is, this isn't it. Got more for you to do. And they took me to the hospital. Now here I am. The very next day, uh, talking to Martin, Buck Marshall. So then this man came around and one of his aides got the phone. Here's where my hearing was extended again. I was not supposed to hear this. Robert Kennedy called and was at, seeing how the thing was going, you know. And uh, this guy was saying, and as low as he could, but the door was cracked. He didn't slam it, you see. He said, Robert was evidently asked him, he said, well, we're having problems with the frail one. <laughs> 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 the, yeah, the, the, see, and evidently Robert couldn't understand the frail. He said, no, 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 I said the frail one. <laughs> I said, I'm sure you're talking to the president of his brother. Tell him I'm frail, but not that damn frail. And we're not going to call any demonstrations off. And besides, I'm going home going back to my sick room. I said, I'm gonna wait on y'all to call it on. And so my wife, and I'm, I'm trying to get up, and they picked me up and just started right up the step. And here's the last word Bud Marcus said. Don't worry, Fred, they are going to agree with your demand. Suppose I hadn't held out. The Birmingham, what should have, would have been a victory, Suppose the whites in Birmingham had said, we never promised anything, we never. So Buck Marshall sealed it with that. I said, well, do whatever you do, I'm going back to bed. I wait to see what you all do. And when I see you all have called it off, if you do, then I will get, I will, in my weakened condition, I'll get all them kids back out in the street and you'll be having a mess. I said, now, modern people trust me and they trusted you because of me. And they fill the jail, that's what we came here to do. And we ain't gonna leave with the jails full and ain't got no victory. That's all. 
So we'll have more of my pre-recorded interview with Fred Shuttlesworth when we return. And we're back, and there's actually a lot more to Shuttlesworth's story and the Children's Crusade. I went to the courthouse that night, and all the demonstrators clogged out the courthouse. And my case came up before the judge. <laughs> and it was so crowded, they couldn't put me anywhere. <clears throat> so he said for the first time, he said, Now, I regret, Mr. Shuttlesworth, that I cannot sentence you this morning due to the overcrowded conditions of the jail. You know what I said? Your Honor, we're making progress. I mean, the streets were filled with <coughs> young folk, everything. And so when I knew they didn't have anywhere to put me that night and mass meeting thousands of people now, I said, you know, now's a good time for us to really test out what we can do. I said, now tomorrow, we're going to drink white water. Those agonizing, vexing signs. I said, so since they don't have no room to put it, we're all going to drink white water tomorrow. <laughs> The next day, all of the founders, I'm talking about Birmingham now, both in the city hall and the county courthouse, all of the fountains, white and black, went dry. No water. The judge couldn't drink, I couldn't drink, sheriff couldn't drink. And you know, it's an amazing thing, when, when we, the judge did recess for lunch or whatever, there were about 40 policemen over in the, Bull, uh, in, in, uh, the Greyhound bus station right across the front of Bull's office. I went over and they were there. I said, well, what y'all doing over here? You all are the power. He said, well, hell, it's hard on us too. I said, well, you might as well get with us because it won't get over until it does. All right, go back. Now, really, I realize now that here's a chance to really get rid of these vexatious things. So the very next night, you're talking about the crowd. The crowd up, I poked all around the church on us. I said, you know what I've been thinking? We fight for equality, so now we're getting equality in misery, we're getting equality in this and that. So we're winning. I said, now tomorrow though, we're gonna really shoot the works. And I leaned over the, the uh, audience, put my elbow, hand on my head on my elbow. I said, you know what? I've been always wondering what made these white folks act so crazy over these toilets. I said, so tomorrow we find out. We're, not, we're going to use white toilets tomorrow. <laughs> There's a joy in what you do when you know what you're doing and you feel it's what to do. The next day, all the bathroom, all the toilets were locked up. City Hall and County Kota. And I had some of my squad to go and look, see if it's downstairs. Maybe they kept one for the elite upstairs or way down. But all of them was locked, downstairs or everywhere. So that, that's how we broke it up. And you're in a crisis, but what do you do? I think this happens to a lot of people. What do you do in the crisis? Do you stand still, do you give up, or do you fight? I think you ought to go down fighting, you ought to go down struggling, and you win. Because really, we don't win. It is God who wins by doing things through us with faith. Now that's, that's, I think that's the essence of life, and that's the essence of going to heaven and whatever else. Do you think uh, the people that had so much hatred, like uh, Bull Connor and uh, George Wallace, all these men, apparently from the report Dr. Lowry gave about uh, 
him apologizing. Confessing? Confessing. Did I, that was a, con that was a confession more of the head than of the heart. You know, you can say, well, Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So They basically this, died in their hatred or their dislike. Well, what they were told. most at that time, uh, you wouldn't have had a rabid segregationist to get up and confess a sin. Uh, and then you have a way sometimes of saying things in a duality of ways. You can say good things about something and go all around it without getting to the point. I've always been a straight shooter. <clears throat> I speak the truth, and when you speak the truth, you don't have to say so much in it. But when you lie, you don't know what lie you told last. You can't remember, so you... Keep making stuff up. You got keep making stuff up. I hear people, oh child, did I say that? Yes, you said that and more. And and think of judgment. There's a there's a passage in the book, I think it's Matthew seven chapters, thirty-fifth, thirty-six verses. I just happen to remember that. Where he says, Look at this, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof. Day in the judgment. Now, how can you remember what you said last week? Last week, not last year. So you have to be thankful to God who, who would take the stand for us in judgment. Our, 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 the real people who believe in the Lord, they, they, they're at the judgment, but they're not in judgment. Christ takes that stand. The blood of Jesus to his Father solves everything. And so, so, but we still can't, because we know God's going to acquit us of our sin, we don't just do it because we can. There ought to be some things you ought not to do. I, I never would have let my mother hear me say a curse word. But we've let down the bars now, and kids curse their mothers and fathers. And so we've got to come back. And I, I just pray that in a day when the gap it seems to be getting wider between children and parents and violence and nonviolence, there are some who think that the day of walking is over, but you never saw God did much done as he had people on the move. And Ann Braden of Louisville, Kentucky says, it is people in motion that make change, not people talking. Critical part to the movement were the marches that took place in Selma, Alabama. There were thousands of people who gathered in these marches to end segregation. Now, we're familiar with what happened March 7th, right? Yes, that's Bloody Sunday. So that gets a lot of attention, of course, because of John Lewis and, and what happened that day, the beatings and that they were out there with a mission and they were determined to change history. But there were a number of marches that took place, not just Bloody Sunday. Right. So Shuttlesworth told you of an incredible moment during one of them. Yes, he did. And he told me they would often kneel during these marches. Mm -hmm. And he shared with me that, you know, at times they would pray. Yeah. <laughs> it's very symbolic to you know they would sit kneel they would and kneel and and pray but he told me an inside story to say that well sometimes they didn't pray and sometimes they had to make decisions so it's almost like a huddle of sorts in a praying pose it's like in pose. football you <laughs> huddle up okay what are we gonna do <laughs> so he, he shared with me a situation where he had to confront dr king about what was happening during one of the marches whether to go forward because they knew what happened on the 7th which was bloody sunday mm -hmm. so this was post 
bloody Sunday from my understanding, and no one wanted that to happen again. The police were out there and, you know, they were ready for more. However, some decisions had to be made to make sure that everybody stayed safe. And this is part of the conversation that he shared with me. We had Archbishop of Greece. We had, oh, any number of people, religious people, <clears throat> clerics in that robe. So we go across the bridge, start out. When we get across the bridge, making decisions is very important, and people have to make decisions. <laughs> yes, <laughs> get across the bridge and go down here, George Wallace. First of all, we're walking on the left-hand side of the road, which is legally wrong, traffic, you're meeting traffic. And, and the way they directed us, they steered us right into it. They was, I think they were going to set a trap for us. So you got about 50, when you get across the bridge, maybe about two block and a half away, Here's 50 policemen, arm to arm, standing blocking the thing. So we always had to develop this thing of stopping down praying, you know, and thinking about what you're going to do. <laughs> so we stopped, I guess, as far as from 50 or 100 feet from them. And the press was there and everything. So Ralph and Martin and I knelt down to pray. <laughs> and we were praying. I, I had prayer in my heart, but I was telling them, I said, now, Martin, if you march on this side of the road, George Wallace got you in a trap that he wants you. You can't walk in the face of traffic. I said, you have to decide to either cross over now and go that way, and when we get up, we got to just start moving across if you're going to keep on going, or you're going to have to turn around and go back. So we're down for me praying, and then I look up, and they suddenly moving off the road. Somebody made a decision. And then we would be square in the face of traffic. Ralph said, what do we do, my Martin? I said, I just told you. We either go over on the other side or we go back. I said, Martin, you have to make the decision. Shuttlesworth also explained that the marchers did turn around on this day, and it's known as Turnaround Tuesday. We'll have more when we return. back with Bryant's interview from 2004 with Fred Shuttlesworth. Yes, and one of the things that he shared with me was about how they would often come together and everyone who comes together oftentimes, you know, would eat together. So he hmm. was with Dr. King at the time, Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, Ralph Abernathy, and they were at a hotel and someone cooked for them. And they really mm -hmm. enjoyed the food. And he, it's funny because he says, you know, you most, most of us, you know, we, we need to eat. But then he said, some people love to eat. <laughs> and, he, and he put uh, Dr. King and uh, Ralph Abernathy in that category. And it's a funny story. <laughs> I thought it was funny. It just shows you the human side of a lot of these leaders that we looked yeah. up to and admired. I mean, they were very human. <laughs> and they were like, uh, it's definitely a brotherhood. You know, they yes. acted like brothers and they worked as they were brothers. And food is energy. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all the time. <laughs> We were having a meeting at Gaston Motel, and we were doing what all of us like to do, eat, but, and I said, some of them specially. So we were eating chicken, and, and it was really some good bread, later in me. So Martin was, was eating, President Kennedy called him, so he had, and, and it, it sort of made me laugh a lot when King had ten, two, three times the same thing I'm here. He said, Kennedy was asking him, why did he have to demonstrate? He said, you demonstrate to make a creative nonviolence. And creative nonviolence brings attention out. 
and it's out of the tension that people discuss and negotiate and so forth. So he was saying, uh, while he was talking to the president, Ralph ran out of uh, meat, chicken. He was going back to get him some more chicken. King was talking, said, yeah, Mr. Kennedy. And I said, now you see, segregation, Mr. Kennedy, is like a boil. <laughs> I can hear him now. <laughs> he said, you know, you got a boil on your arm. He's demonstrating on his arm. You got a boil on your arm. You can't let it stay. Just as it is, you got to cut into the board and cut out and get the corruption out and that air and sunlight get into it. And while he, he looked up and Ralph was going, he said, Ralph, said, you going to get, you going to get some more chicken? He said, said, bring me another piece of chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, he said, oh yeah, I said, bring a piece of bread too. He said, Fred, ain't this some great bread? I said, yeah, but you're talking to the president, <laughs> the president of the United States. We're all human, but those were some days that I, I, I wish we could be back like then, planning battles for the, carrying the battle on. But I admired him because of, uh, I think he really meant to be an example of nonviolence himself. I could sometimes hear his staff, oh, just going at each other's throat. But he always had that calm discipline about himself. So I guess I was a pusher, I had to push. Yes, yeah, segregation has a different face today. But you see, the, the trouble is, if you let racism take the place of segregation, you might have, as they say, kill the old hen and lay the golden egg. You will let the hen's chick grow up to be the same thing. And that's why the apathy and the vacillation now is dangerous because we've gone back from what we promised Dr. King. We are so far away from what we sort of rose up in inspiration to. We can get justice. Well, Psalm 97 too. God's throne sits on only two pillars, justice and righteousness. And we preach the mercies of God, everybody, you and I all, everybody. Oh God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for forgiving me. But there's a justice side. And that's the side that God wants to get over in this business of segregation, oppression of people in the world. Samuel told Saul, love mercy and walk humbly with thy God. I also wanted to mention that Fred Shuttlesworth always gave a lot of encouragement to young people, and this is part of what he shared with me. And I think young people ought to live life fully, ought to enjoy life, but remember thou creator in the days of thy youth. You can't beat that. So if we can go back to the old landmark, I think truth is, is as old as before creation and as relevant as eternity would be, truth. So I say, try to look at what you're doing and, and thinking and, and trying to mean. The thing I like about the Creator is, if you try and fail in your try, remember that song, if you try, fail in your try, he'll understand. Well, that means at least you had the mind. So trying is winning. Sometimes my choir gets to sing that, and, 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 or in the movement. We get, we got, we'd get ready to face fires and dogs and all that kind of stuff. But we, we go out, with our faith revved up like engines warmed up on a plane. And you don't worry. And, and to me, it is an amazing thing. With Klanism like it was, open, a part of the local police, and a third of Birmingham police at one time were Klanmen. That so many more people didn't get killed. And when you think of all of that, you just, you just are overwhelmed at the majesty and the mercy of God, to do things, move us forward in spite of ourselves, so it ought to inspire us to do better. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. 
I said Christians are religious people, because all, all religious people are not necessarily Christian. You have to realize that you're called to a warfare. You're not called to a picnic, you're called to a fight, the fight of life. And you are designed, you are guaranteed that you will overcome all of the struggle if you believe, if, you, if that belief becomes faith, if that faith becomes trust. Because you trust in God, you don't have to worry about anything else. And that's why I've been privileged to walk close to the clan, deal with the clan. Dr. King talked about that love. Strength of love. Yeah, the strength <laughs> of love, agape. Yeah. Now, when you've been through what I've been through, you learn really what love is. We just really can't experience it. It takes experiences to make you realize what love really is, uh, or to forgive, which is a word. And, and, and the Lord makes it so plain. Said, now, if you can't forgive others, the Lord ain't going to forgive you. First of all, Christ said, follow me. See, take my cross, my way upon you. Take my yoke and follow me. So that following leads to many things. It leads to sometimes a conflict with your friends. It takes courage for a man to say to his best friend, now here you were wrong, so and so and so and so. Think about this. Mm -hmm. This is what we need to talk with people. One of the most touching words I heard was a minister. He said one day, he said, we invite the Lord in the funerals, our funeral, but we don't invite him to our parties. <laughs> Did you know that? The Lord go with it in the funeral, but we will not invite him to a party when we have our fun. And so the Lord wants us to have fun and, and be with us too, you know. <laughs> now that sounds, even to a newsman, it sounds pretty good. Shuttlesworth was a hero of the movement. Yes, he was. And we have more legends for Black History Month on our website at beforeyougo.tv. Yes, that's beforeyougo.tv. And before we go. We want to remind everyone that stories like these are sometimes just a phone call away. Just pick up that phone and make the call. There's no time like the present. What, what a, a gift. gift.